G'day. My name is Jeff. It's my great privilege to look with you now at God's Word. We're going to continue our series in the book of Genesis. Today it's chapter 22, verse 20 to 2467. Can I encourage you to have a Bible open in front of you? I'm going to read large parts of this section of God's Word to try to think about what it means and how it applies to us as Christians. We'll also help you to have an outline of the talk that's in the service program for today. Let's pray and we'll ask God to help us. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for giving us your word. We thank you for your promises to Abraham and we thank you for the way that they are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that through Jesus we become your people, living in your place under your blessing forever. Please help us as we look this morning at your word to understand what it says, to take what we learn to heart and to live appropriately in the light of your great promises. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was first a Christian, there was a girl in my church. She had a strong faith, very involved in serving Jesus, and she was, she was extremely encouraging to me. I vividly remember she gave me a couple of books that, uh, that totally revolutionized, revolutionized my understanding about who Jesus is and, and how to read the Bible. And then when I started to get involved in serving at church, again, she was really helpful to me. She co-led a youth group with me. She was excellent. With this girl, she went on to meet a nice man, handsome, fit, kind, smart, wealthy, but not a Christian. She wanted to marry the man. Carmelina and I talked to her about it. We tried to discourage her. Unfortunately, we, unfortunately, we had a bit of a falling out over it. But anyway, she, she assured us, she assured us that even though he himself wasn't a Christian, that he, he would always support her being a Christian. And so she married him. Many years later, I heard from this girl again. Uh, she was as lovely as ever. She was, again, at the time, generously offering to help us with something. Uh, we had a nice chat. And she told me that her husband had been supportive of her being a Christian. But when I spoke to her, her husband, uh, he hadn't himself become a Christian. And uh, none of her children, who by then were teenagers, had become Christians. She herself hadn't been to church for quite a while. And, and she told me she was, she was starting to doubt whether the whole thing about Jesus is true. Do, do you know what? Sadly, I can tell you, Dozens of similar stories, dozens of stories of people who have given up their faith in Jesus or people whose, whose children didn't embrace Jesus all because, all because they married a non-Christian. You know, I, I would say that it is one of the biggest reasons people give up on Jesus. I'd say it's one of the biggest reasons why Christians have children who don't themselves go on to become Christians. It's all because they marry a non-Christian. Well, in our studies in Genesis, we're up to the last part of chapter 22. And in this last part of chapter 22, Abraham hears some nice news. He hears that his brother has had some children. And he's even had a granddaughter, a girl called Rebecca. Can you see there in verse 23, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 23. Bethuel, that's uh, 
That's Abraham's nephew, his brother's son, Bethuel, became the father of Rebekah. Now, that was nice news. But the news in chapter 23 is not quite so nice. Um, Abraham's wife, Sarah, uh, she dies. Chapter 23 and verse 1. 23, 1. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Uh, things weren't always great in uh, Abraham and Sarah's marriage, were they? I mean, they had their ups and their downs, but, but here is the sign of an ultimately successful marriage. One partner is weeping over the death of the other. Abraham, uh, he arranges to buy a burial site for Sarah. He speaks to the local leaders and after a bit of haggling, he manages to purchase a field with a cave in it. And this is the only part of the promised land that Abraham ever actually owns, a grave for his wife. Pick it up in verse 17, chapter 23 and verse 17. So, Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of, of the field was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. That brings us to chapter 24. Abraham is now an old man, he's, he's not long for this world, but by now, after all he's been through, Abraham has learned to be a man of faith, a man who, who lives in the light of God's promises. And so as a, as a, as a final mission in his life, as, as a last kind of will and testament, as a final mission, he, he does what he can to ensure that his son Isaac carries on in his footsteps. Now, you remember what the promises were to Abraham? People, land, and blessing. Abraham's family will be God's people, in God's place, under his blessing. Well, now Abraham, he wants, to, he wants to do what he can to ensure that these promises continue through to the next generation. And so he arranges for two things to happen. First, he wants to arrange a wife for Isaac. And second, he wants to make sure that Isaac stays in the promised land. Now, unfortunately, in terms of God's promises, these two things clash with each other. Because if Isaac stays in the land, the only girls who are around are Canaanites, and they are not worshippers of God. They are idolaters. They're not going to help Isaac to stick with God's promises. So, what Abraham does, he gets his servant to head back to the place where his family is, to, to find a God-worshipping wife for Isaac. Genesis chapter 24 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Genesis chapter 24 and verse 1. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son, Isaac. 
Uh, servant wants to know what should happen if he can't get a wife, a, a woman, to come back with him. Should he then take Isaac away from the land? But Abraham is perfectly clear about it. Isaac must stay in the promised land. Abraham is convinced. He's convinced. He has God's promises, and so he's confident that God will make the servant's mission a success. Verse 5. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you'll be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. The servant heads off on his journey. He asks God, prays to God to help him to find the right woman, the sort of woman who is hospitable and strong and diligent and kind. And and just like Abraham said, in in, in a lovely way, God answers the servant's prayer. The servant comes across none other than Rebecca, Abraham's great niece, Isaac's first cousin once removed. Pick it up in verse 12, verse 12. Then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she'd given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all his camels. A servant goes with Rebecca to her house, speaks to her relatives, tells them who he is and what's happened asks if they'll let her come and be Isaac's wife. And Rebecca's dad and her brother agree. Uh, They say that they can see this is from God and they don't want to go against God's will. Jump down to verse 50. Verse 50. Laban and Bethuel answered, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here's Rebecca, take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. Uh, Rebecca herself, she also agrees to go, and so she is sent off with, uh, with a blessing. Verse 58. Verse 58. So they called Rebecca and asked her, Will you go with this man? I will go, 
she said. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. Then Rebecca and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebecca and left. And so the servant, he, uh, he brings Rebecca to Isaac and they get married. Verse 62. Now, Isaac had come from Be'er Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked, asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. All right. Well, can you see what's here in this passage? Uh, first, we hear about the birth of Rebekah. And then we hear about Sarah's death. Uh, Abraham buys a burial site. A and then this story of chapter 24, where Abraham organizes things to, to be able to help Isaac, to, to help him to embrace the promises of God, to help him to stay in the land with a godly wife who will encourage him. Uh, so that God's promises of land, people and blessing will, will, will continue through to the next generation. Friends, as we've seen over and over again, God's promises to Abraham, they are still valid today. They still stand, and they stand because they've been fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Jesus lived and he died and he rose again so that everyone who believes in him can be God's person, living under the blessing of God, ultimately in God's place, the new heaven and earth forever. On your outline there, I've got a verse from Galatians chapter 3, Galatians 3.29. Can you see it? If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. These promises to Abraham, they come by faith now. You can't just inherit them like Isaac did. You have to trust Jesus. But if you belong to Christ, if you belong to Christ, these promises to Abraham are yours. But you know what, friends? As the Apostle Peter said in, in the first ever sermon about Jesus, the promises are for our children as well. On your outline from Acts chapter 2. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. God's promises are offered to us and they're offered to our children. And friends, friends, what is there that you could want more? 
What is there that you could want more in life than for your children and your grandchildren, for that matter, to belong to Christ and to receive all these promises? What more could you want in life than for your children to be God's people in God's place under his blessing forever? I don't think there could be anything more important, do you? I remember sitting down with Carmelina nearly 20 years ago. I was slaving my guts out trying to grow this church, out on the streets, handing out leaflets, knocking on doors in the area, chasing down every possible lead of anyone who expressed any interest in possibly coming here. I was running three Bible studies each week. I was out every night in meetings. I was facing opposition and conflict. Carmelina was also putting in long hours in ministry here with women and children and hospitality. We were having people over to our home for meals numerous times a week. We were working day and night to try to get this church up and running. And then we fell pregnant with Joel. We sat down and we talked about it. And we made a decision before God. We said, at the end of our ministry, we'd rather have a church of 10 people and converted children than a church of 10,000 people with unconverted children. At the end of our ministry, we'd rather have a church of 10 people and converted children than a church of 10,000 people with unconverted children. That, that, that was the call we made. Now, of course, we can't convert our children. We can't, we can't convert anyone, can we? Only God is the one who can, who can grant people faith in Jesus. It's there in the verse that we just read from Acts chapter 2. Did you, did you notice it there? Who are the promises for? Uh, can you see it? For all whom the Lord our God will call. In one sense, it was a silly thing for us to say, but you get the point, don't you? You get what we were trying to do. There are, there are lots of ministers' children who give up on Jesus. Now, that might be despite the fact that the minister faithfully brought them up in the training and discipline of the Lord, but, but it could also be that the minister was so busy working to build up other people in the church that he neglected to disciple his own children. We, we didn't want that to be true for us. We didn't want our children to fall away because of our neglect. And so we deliberately cut back the time we spent in ministry, cut back the stuff we were doing in church, and we invested that time in our new baby. Friends, Abraham was desperately concerned that his son Isaac continue on in the promises of God. In fact, it was pretty much, it's pretty much his last dying wish here, isn't it? It, it? This is right at the top of his bucket list. He desperately wanted Isaac to embrace the promises of God. He wanted the promises to move through the generations of his family. Friend, is that how you feel? Is it your great desire that the promises of God be embraced by the next generation? Is it your great desire that your children and your grandchildren trust and serve Jesus? Now, I should say, this is not just a question for parents. I personally come from a non-Christian home. My parents were excellent. They brought me up in a loving, stable environment. They gave me every opportunity. But, but my parents have no faith in Jesus themselves. And so, of course, they didn't encourage me to put my trust in Jesus or to grow in my trust in Jesus. But when I was a young man, there were lots of people who did. I remember my first Bible study leader, Steve Fison was his name. He had a busy job, busy family life. But he took out the time to meet with me, not only for Bible study, but 
but also week by week to, to answer my questions. He often had me over for meals. Or I remember the, the, the Green family, the, the first time I went to church, they invited me back for lunch and they said, anytime you come to church, you come back to our house for lunch. Or, or I remember the assistant minister at my church. It wasn't a small church. He had lots to do. Ken O'Reilly was his name. I was just a young bloke from nowhere. But again, he, he took out heaps of time to, to teach me from God's word. And, you know, I can name lots of other people who were similarly generous. When I was young, they really invested in me. They wanted the gospel to continue on to me and to the next generation. Friends, bringing the gospel to the next generation is not just a job for parents. All of us ought to have Abraham's desire on this. All of us should want the gospel to be passed on to the children in our families and in our church. And so all of us, all of us should pray for the children in our lives. And, and all of us should take the opportunity to get involved and, and teach and encourage where we can. Take the opportunity to teach kids in your Zoom church. You don't have to be a parent to do it. Make sure, whether you're a parent or not, that, that you're using the resources we're giving for children and for youth. Uh, when we get back to church, do the safe church training and, and then get involved. Get involved in Connect Kids, get involved in youth group. Or Look, even if it's just if you take the time to talk to the children of our church be, before church or at morning tea, learn their names. Ask them about themselves and their faith. All of us should want the promises of the gospel to be embraced by the next generation. So friend, is that true for you? Is that what you want? But friends, I have to say this. I have a bad feeling about this. I suspect that the way we parent our children as North Shore Christians it may well be sending them wrong messages. The, the, the model that we present, it may well be telling our children that there are things more important than Jesus. Things like education and getting good marks. Things like sport or music. Things like getting a good job and, and making lots of money and, and, and having a comfortable North Shore life just like us. I, I suspect that instead of passing on the promises of the gospel, too often we are passing on the promises of a North Shore lifestyle. Do you reckon there's anything to what I'm saying? Just, just think for a moment about your life. Well, what do you talk about to your children? What do you ask them about at the end of the day? What, what, do you, what do you praise them for? What do you discipline them about? What do you, what do you model passion for? What, what's, what's the message that you're giving to your children? Maybe ask the question this way. Do you think your kids reckon that you would prefer for them to be a piano-playing doctor living in Roseville who doesn't trust in Jesus or a bricklayer living in Blackdown who does trust Jesus? A piano-playing doctor living in Roseville who doesn't trust Jesus or a bricklayer living in Blacktown who does trust Jesus? If you asked your kids what they think you'd prefer for them 
what would they say? Like Abraham, it ought to be our great passion to see the next generation embrace the promises of Jesus. And so friends, I think this means that we need to reassess our priorities, don't you? Reassess our priorities. And as politically incorrect as it may be to say this, one big issue is who our children marry. Abraham knew that. We see it here in Genesis, don't we? And friends, it's still true today. The statistics are unambiguous about it. And as I said at the beginning, I can personally tell you story after story about it. People who've married non-Christians and it's, it's led them away from Jesus or it's led their children to, to never embrace the promises of Jesus. Who our children marry is vitally important for them and for our grandchildren. It's vitally important for the gospel to make its way through the generations. For better or worse, we don't live in a culture where parents arrange marriages. So we can't do exactly what Abraham did here. But friends, if you do want your children to embrace God's promises in Jesus, you need to disciple them in this area intentionally. From birth, from their birth, you need to be praying about who your children will marry. You need to be praying for the person they'll marry. You should talk to your children from a young age. Talk about the possibility of godly singleness. And talk about the kind of person your child should marry. Talk to your children about marriage from a young age. Encourage them to marry only a committed Christian. Encourage them that is the most vital thing. Encourage them, don't get carried away by a person's looks. Don't get carried away by popularity or intelligence. Encourage them instead, think hard about how well will that person partner with me in living for Jesus? How will that person partner with me in raising children for Jesus? Friends, it is such an important decision for our children's spiritual welfare. It's such an important decision for the gospel to go forward through the generations. And so we need to intentionally disciple children in this area. Okay, friends. Abraham's dying wish, Abraham's great passion at the top of his bucket list was to see God's promises embraced by the next generation. Let's pray, friends, that that'll be our passion. And, and let's pray that we'll see it happen, that we'll see the children of our church and our families embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and trust him. Let, let, let's pray now. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the magnificent promises that you gave to Abraham and fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that through him we can be forgiven for our sins, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and be your people in the new heaven and new earth under your blessing forever. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that this promise is for us and for our children and for all who are far off, for all whom you graciously call. Our Father, will you please graciously call not only us, but also our children, the children of our families, the children of our church. We pray that all of them will trust in Jesus as their Saviour and King. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll put in our hearts a, a, 
Such a passion to live for the Lord Jesus Christ and love him and such a passion that our children live for the Lord Jesus Christ and love him that it can't help but rub off on them. We pray, Heavenly Father, you help us to make decisions as parents and as people to do what we can to ensure that the gospel is embraced by the generations that follow us. Help us in this, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.